Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. On this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome a guest whose work has seen him go up against the armies of darkness and become a fan favorite in the process. Known for his acclaimed performance as Pablo in Ash vs. Evil Dead, he's also made an impact in the world of fright with roles in shows like Dexter and films like Suburban Gothic and Blumhouse's inaugural Into the Dark outing, The Body. Outside of genre, he's also appeared in such film and TV titles as Girl Fight, Sex Ed, Raising Hope, and Touch. Please welcome to the show prolific actor and horror fan fave, Ray Santiago. Woohoo! Welcome, Ray. I'm so glad to have you on today. I'm so happy to be here. So exciting. Um, it's, and here we are in the midst of Pride Month. Yeah. Are you proud? I am. I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty proud. I'm ready. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to drink lots of fluids and get lots I of sleep. I bet you are thinking that. <laughs> well, bef- Drink your fluids to stay proud. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> hydration is key after all. Nothing is more horrifying than, than a dehydrated morning, I think. That will be Monday morning, probably for everyone in West Hollywood <laughs> and the surrounding uh, neighborhoods, I think. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm actually already exhausted because I think I'm going to find myself in probably um, four cities this month that will be celebrating Pride. If not four, just two, one of which will be L.A., the other two will be New York and um, uh, uh, Barcelona and, and, uh, and Madrid. Now is this an, this is not an intentional pride tour or is this work travel yeah. or yeah no <laughs> it, it is sort of a it is sort of an intentional pride tour I've just been um, I've been really good and I haven't been going away anywhere and I just um, I just I wanted to take advantage of the Fourth of July and and uh, I'm going to be going to New York for for some work stuff so um, I decided that I I should maybe um, I'll either be at World Pride or Barcelona Pride or Madrid Pride. But I'm going to be proud this month. I mean, those all sound like amazing places to be. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to see where where they end up. Um, like a thing about me that pre- people who know me know and people who don't know me know is that I'm super indecisive. <laughs> um, but it only comes from FOMO because I just, I just want to be, be. Um, I don't want to miss anything. Um, but that also is the answer to why I am like. So the thing that I'm the most scared of, like, what are you the most afraid of? Right. Um, is death for me. And it's not because I'm scared of how I'm going to die. Um, but it's mostly because I just don't want my life to end because right. I like living so much. And um, and so on, on Ash, it was really interesting because I, uh, you know, died like every other episode or something like that or was was sort of having that kind of like weird... Um, um, theme with my character where death was chasing him. So I had this moment where I, I realized hungover in New Zealand at a Chinese restaurant watching Bruce Lee. I was like, you know what? There's some sort of like solace in like the fact that like I do this, like I, I'm, I will live forever right. as the characters that I play and um, the world will have that forever to, you know, sort of look at, and I will live forever. Um, but it's it's not 
it's not really me. It's me as someone else, which I find really interesting. Well, I, I'm in, I'm very interested in that through line from the the FOMO of wanting uh, to well, not, well, FOMO and the idea that you don't want to miss out on life. Yeah. So you uh, are indecisive because there are all these things you want to do, which in some ways connected to this fear of death. Yes. Which then, of course, you know, leads to this notion of of the longevity of the work that we create. Yeah. Which is a great transition into the first question. Okay. Uh, and it's the same first question I ask every guest, and it's simply this: Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want, but why? Like, why is horror something that appeals to you? Why do you think audiences are drawn to it? But why horror? Yeah, I think for me, why why horror? Um, let's see. Let me let me think about that. I mean, I feel like all the emotions sort of connect. If I can laugh with you, I can cry with you. If I can, if you know, if I can scare you, I can I can do all those other things. But for me, um, horror was like how I sort of played by myself as like a weirdo child. I mean, I sort of went from. I started out um, draping um, like blankets on my body as like a six-year-old and, and, and dancing in this dress that I created with my grandma's like shoes. And she said that I would like drink um, perfume <laughs> um, while I interpretively danced to Beethoven. Someone in my house had Beethoven and I just like put all these things together and had this experience. And I don't know how this like six year old, four year old was living this life that he had never experienced or seen. Um, but that that transitioned that 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 crazy little Latina woman who was getting drunk at six transitioned into other things, um, playing pretend from from things like um, watching things like um, Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, uh, Halloween, and then Buffy. These were the things that like were sort of around when I was a kid that 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 just appealed to me. Um, and so I I always sort of wanted to be the, to be honest, I always wanted to be the woman running from the monster um, and 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 the guy saving uh, people from the monster. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. There's this sort of like hero in these female characters that I, I grew up seeing, uh, like like Buffy and like Linda Hamilton and Terminator. Um, I was just terrified of like the um, the Halloween like soundtrack. So uh, or the theme, I should say. Um, so for me, why horror? Um, I don't know. I found it really fun. I, I don't know. Um, and, and, and for me, I also feel like it wasn't a choice. Like I, as a, as an actor, you sort of just like go with what is whatever you get until you can really choose. Right. And, um, you know, I remember thinking like, I would really love a job where I got to, ch I get to travel the world. I get to do stunts and, and work with prosthetics and, um, and I get to create a sort of like positive role model of a Latino character. And I think on Ash, that sort of all, uh, I checked all those boxes. And, um, and so for, yeah, so I was super, super excited and, and all the rage is horror. So I know I sort of haven't answered your question in one sentence and I can't really think about it, but 
Well, I don't think it needs to be a one-sentence answer. I do think that uh, in there you you talked about how you connected to it early on. Mm. And I, I am really interested in the fact that it was something you were always sort of Mm-hmm. connected to because mm-hmm. like you said as an mm-hmm. actor some people are sort of thrust into the world of horror right. whereas uh, some some creators uh, and performers are drawn to it in some way and I'm also interested and it's it's a theme that's repeated every so often with different guests on the show about sort of this gay male draw to final girls in horror yeah. the idea of sort of like uh, wanting to embody that or, or worshipping yeah, those characters absolutely I mean I I mean, <laughs> sorry, I just had a memory of of um, being like twelve with like my like my uh, best friend, and we used to make movies, and we like made our own horror movie. We were like musical theater kids, and I grew up in New York City, and we made this horror movie called That's Show Business, and it was about um, these people who were who were in a Broadway show, and they all were murdered. Um, Anyway, you just sort of somehow you took me back to it. But I remember when I was making this movie that like when I watched it as an adult, I was like, I'm like trying to be the woman. I'm trying to be the Nev Campbell and the Jamie Lee Curtis of the situation. Never really did I want to be um, like uh, who, 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 what good guy can I think of that was like saving? I didn't want to be the Terminator. I wanted to be Nev Campbell and scream right. and like hold my neck and like breathe like weirdly and look like I was really disturbed you know that look that she does and everything that she does but I think it's also sort of a gateway or a a freedom to be this sort of like effeminate um like like hero that that you sort of are as um that you're that you sort of are as a as a little as a little gay kid growing up in the south bronx trying to dodge bullets and blades um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think too. There's this uh, attraction to the otherness that horror has. Right. When uh, you think of someone like Laurie from Halloween, or I guess even Sydney in, in Scream to some uh, degree, mm-hmm. they are even though they're the, the main characters, they feel like sort of outsiders in their own kind of social world. Sure. Laurie really wants to be the popular girl and like wants to connect with the other girls, and she's friends with them, but they're like sexual and like right, like, right, all awesome and you know when when uh, in scream sydney sort of had this like family trauma that makes her feel a little bit outside and of course right. like when you have that hypersexualized friend that rose mcgowan plays right and uh it's sort of like i think that we as as queer kids can connect to that maybe not specifics but the idea of like just wanting to belong sure and then being attacked. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. And I'm guessing based on the story of the blankets and the perfume, you were always interested in some degree to in creative things and performance. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it makes sense what you're saying. And, 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 and yeah, I. So, so acting for me was this way of trying to find myself, and and it was me hiding uh, behind other characters. And as I um, sort of grew into adolescence, I realized I was sort of finding myself by playing these other characters, and. Um, so it was a way for me to be free. And I knew at a really early age that I sort of wanted more than what most um, in my 
like sort of neighborhood we're sort of striving for. Um, I knew that I wanted to get out of the South Bronx. I mean, we had a really lovely upbringing. We have a beautiful house. My mom and dad were great parents. But I just, from a very early age, you know, from watching Beverly Hills 90210, I don't know if I just wanted to like live in LA like those characters or if I wanted to be an actor like Robert De Niro I probably wanted to be those characters and then realized <laughs> that I had to like be actually an actor to do that right um, but somehow some way um, through the public school system and really great teachers who saw a spark in like a little boy each teacher led me to each sort of program and the next school that ultimately led me to the fame school in Lincoln Center LaGuardia um, and then I got this like conservatory education and was uh, thrown into this like um, you know like to, to, to the city and all of the kids that are in the city and all the good and the bad that comes with that and I had my first manager at like 11 or 12 and by the time I was 12 I turned 13 on the set for Girl Fight so um, somehow some way this little boy who just had a dream for more wanted more didn't feel like he belonged and was trying to find himself found himself um, and decided that he just wanted to keep going and I also felt like at a really early age that there wasn't very many role models for myself as just a Latino uh, young man. Right. But particularly um, like a queer Latino uh, or Latinx, I should say, man. Um, and so um, without really understanding what I was doing at a really early age, I think I decided that I wanted to sort of be that. Right. Um, so that's so that some other kid who is around now um could could maybe be inspired to to keep going or whatever to be happy i mean like i don't really um i i i get happy when i meet fans but it's not something that i like thrive on in a, in a negative way at all but like yesterday i was getting lunch and this he couldn't have been more than 15 uh, like recognized me with his mom and his mom didn't know who the hell I was but he <laughs> did and he was so excited and and there was just this thing that happened to me um, and like um, I think what I was trying to say about like fandom or whatever is that it doesn't it doesn't fuel me in a negative way if anything like um, whenever someone stops me it usually is like when I'm having a shitty day or like I'm doubting what I'm doing and then just seeing how you touch someone in whatever way that might be, whether it's like, I really liked when you, you know, came back to life and you were so buff or when you, whatever it is, you touch someone and you realize that you're in someone's home and that's a very intimate thing. Right. And I didn't have that growing up as a kid. Um, I had like John Leguizamo. I had copies of Tu Wong Fu, like hidden under my loft bed because I only could watch them you know, when no one was around. And um, and so, yeah. And so, like, I want to make sure that whatever kid is out there has a copy of whatever I'm in under his bed. <laughs> and it's inspiring him. Well, it must be nice to know, too, that you achieved that goal, that to see that turnaround and that impact for these fans, you're providing the thing that you always wanted. And... I'm I'm wondering too because mm. you know no one in this trajectory especially from 
the generation that we come from, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of queer representation on TV. And uh, like you're saying, there were not a lot of Latinx role models as well. Now, when, when you bring those two together, I'm sure that that's been kind of a journey. Ha- has it been difficult navigating the industry, trying to like establish that representation? Sure. Do you mean particularly just for myself as like a Latinx actor or like a, like a, like a queer Latinx actor or you mean also in horror? Uh, just generally. Generally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it is, um, it is really difficult and we have, um, you know, there's been immense progress, you know, look at where we are now. But at the same time, I do feel like, um, like what I'm saying is that there are, there is much more representation out there, but for me, it is still a struggle because, um, we are still sort of tied to some ideas of like what it should look like. Oftentimes for me, um, the, the thing with work and jobs is like, oh, he was, he was the actor choice but we went this way because we needed somebody who looked a certain kind of way and so it is it is still a struggle because there is a certain kind of phenotype that um I feel like is sort of favored on television when you're thinking of a a Latino or a Spanish character, and that is one of like European descent. Whereas you know the phenotype of of an African descent, uh, like for somebody who is Puerto Rican or Dominican, is only now just starting to sort of surface in a very popular um, in a very popular way. And right. oftentimes they will say to me like, "Oh, you know, we just they wanted somebody a little bit more." Um, uh, leading man or uh, and it's like well what does that mean and so um, yeah it's a struggle but um, you can't take it personally because first of all you don't have any control over it I struggle with that every day because this is like the only industry where you like well, maybe not the only but you work so hard at something but you really have no control over the outcome whereas like you could you know you could go be a doctor and you could get your medical uh license and you know you could go treat some patients and save some lives but here it's like you could be the best actor but if if you don't fit this i was talking to my therapist therapist about this and and rupaul also said something about this you know it's like when you audition they're looking for um whatever colors they need for their canvas and maybe your version of red isn't the red that they need for this particular picture but your version of red will be what somebody else needs mm-hmm. so that's something that you just have to accept when uh, in this industry and in this life as an artist and I am constantly trying to um, remind myself of that and to find the beauty and excitement of of just doing the work right um, yeah I tend to ramble, so cut me off. No, I, I was really uh, invested in the answer because I also started thinking when you were talking about the idea of, of what others project on to what they think... Is beautiful. Is beautiful or what they think these uh, different people look like. Right. And I, I was actually j- jumping a little ahead to um, Ash versus Evil Dead. A through line and a continuous gag mm-hmm. that uh, I noticed throughout <laughs> the seasons is how uh, Ash frequently misrepresents... 
your country of origin. Yeah. And uh, I know it's played for laughs, and it's definitely made to look, uh, made uh, to make Ash look like a sort for of sure. oafish. For sure. But that's got to be, you know, in some way reflective of a very real experience. Right. And, and for me, I, it never offended me or I never took it a certain kind of way on the show because I felt like we were putting it out there in a way to sort of show, like, like how racist people can be, right? You know, it's like everyone sort of assumes that like only Mexicans are are in in LA and like New York's only like Puerto Ricans and and Dominicans and Cubans or whatever. But while that might be sort, there is truth to that. There, there is just so many. It's just different. But but yeah, I liked that we did it in a way that was um, a joke and not 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 a bad joke. It was a good joke. Anything, anything Ash ever said, as bad as it was, he made really bad lines sound so good, and he would do it in like one take, two takes tops. And so whenever I was on set with him, I'd be like, I got to get this right because I don't want to have to do three takes. And um, yeah, I learned so much from Bruce. Do you think that comes from the world of just low budget filmmaking where oh, yeah. they didn't have the option of multiple takes? So you learn to do it quickly? Yeah. And I don't know what it's like in like a Ryan Murphy world, but even even uh, when I worked on this Hulu project, um, it was very much like very quickly and I find that everything nobody has money to spend on extra takes so you do kind of need to um, knock you know knock it out of the park in the first take or tech second take but but it's really hard when you have technical um, you know things to hit like marks and stunts and you have prosthetics and blood and trajectory of of, of, of blood that you're trying to find with your face um, <laughs> So, so yeah, um, I think that, I think that, uh, very quickly I realized like we just have to keep it moving. And I think it was great because it was a great boot camp for me, um, in a very extreme way, how to get so much done with so many different factors in a very sort of quick way. And, and I like that. And when you move on to a set, say like when I was, on Meet the Fockers uh, when I was like 19, like we shot like, I don't know, like a half a page, like a day or something. It was just like, oh my God, we're here forever. Um, and it looks that way. It looks super polished and, and, and great and nice. And you do make more money when you have more takes because you're taking more time. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, everything is different. Well, since we're talking a little bit about the process of Ash versus Evil Dead and I yeah. brought it up, why don't we, we jump to that a bit? Because you were talking about how when you were a kid, uh, once you started embracing horror and you wanted to pretend that you were in these movies that you watched, mm. Mm. Uh, of course, you know, in the landscape of, of horror, especially like the 80s, uh, many of those movies mm -hmm. were inspired by what Sam Raimi did with the Evil Dead. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, and Johnny Depp is watching Evil Dead on TV right. in bed. Right. And so, you know, from the kid who's who's pretending to be, you know, Nancy or Lori right. or I whatever. I had the mushrooms on my steps in the house. And I did the booby traps. And my mom was like, what the fuck is my son doing? But yeah, <laughs> I like really, really wanted to be Nancy. Um, but when so when you went on for that audition and yeah. you get this gig, mm -hmm. what was that like? Were you obviously you were aware of Evil Dead, but I was, and 
maybe not the scope. I didn't realize like how big it was. Um, I didn't know that world. I feel like I'm not too young, but I was more interested in the things that we've talked about. Right. But it's so funny because I like got a call from my agent that was like, you can't, okay, this is like a straight to series. Don't fuck this up. Um, you know, so, you know, just go in there or whatever. And then there was this other pilot that had like John Lake Wazamo and was like John Lake Wazamo and his like queer son and their their relationship and I was like I want that one and well I, especially after hiding Tu Wang Fu under your bed right <laughs> yeah. right I mean I worked with John many many years later after hiding that that copy under my bed but I didn't tell him uh, anyway I I was sort of gravitating towards that and then it sort of relieved like the pressure somehow some way I mean I knew that Evil Dead was like like that Ash was like a big one um, but I think like initially when I read the character, I felt like it was racist. Interesting. His name was Paco. Um, and he was like the sidekick. And I felt like we had seen, you know, every time we saw a character on TV lately, it was sort of like the joke was that he was this like not so smart like immigrant illegal um you know who was just trying to figure it out and the butt of every joke and so i was sort of like i don't know if i want this um but i was excited about the horror of it all and i think ultimately when i went in there i just thought i'm not going to get this they're going to give this to the guy who was in napoleon dynamite or someone else but they didn't. I remember the moment that I auditioned and seeing the spark in the casting director's eyes and the whole process change and feeling like, oh, I might have a chance at this. And I remember turning it around in my head and being like, you don't, it's it's written a certain kind of way, but you're reading it a certain kind of way. Right. And there's potential for it to be different. And... I think I pushed and pushed for that throughout the show. And um, I'm going to take you through the process of what happened and then I'll tell you. About I'm that. here but for it. I, I ultimately like had this like audition with Sam Raimi after that first one and Bruce. Um, and like there was confusion about the address and I was like in Santa Monica and I thought I was supposed to be in the valley and so I started driving back to the valley and then they were like no go back it's you were at the right address so I go back to the to the Santa Monica place and I leave my car door like open like and just run because I'm scared I'm gonna miss this audition with Sam and I get there and they were like a little late so it was fine and then I did this like chemistry read with Bruce and Sam and and Sam asked me questions like, you know, are you ready to like fight for this character and do stunts? And he had me like take my shirt off. Um, and we just tried different things and played and I felt fine. I didn't feel nervous. Right. I think oftentimes when something is right and you know that you have a good chance of getting it, you're, you're not nervous. Uh, and then... 
I tested against this guy and and uh, right before I tested they put us in these like separate rooms and uh, and Sam came into my room and he was like so I just want to ask you he's like you know are you ready to go to New Zealand and do stunts and fight for the character I'm not going to be there all the time and I said listen I am ready I want to run through the wilderness of New Zealand naked as this character and I just <laughs> I want to create a hero out of this sidekick and if you give me that opportunity I promise you I will not let you down and he was like okay cool just this is just a part of the process go in there do what you need to do I did and then uh, I got the part and when I got to set I said hey you know you really came in and you hyped me up what did you say to the other guy in the other room and he said I never went into that guy's room wow so when it's yours it's yours you know oddly enough the guy who didn't get it just beat me out for some other role that I really wanted like two weeks ago and I was like wow it really is just whatever's right was was supposed to be yours is yours it's like an ebb and flow in this industry too it's always there's a always a back and forth yeah yeah uh and to then go on this adventure, three seasons of a show in New Zealand, you're spending a, a lot of time down there. Had you ever been to New Zealand before? No. I, like I said, I remember feeling like I was, <laughs> I feel like as an actor, and anybody who's listening might understand this, you know, you, you, you live two ways. You're like, I got to live my life and explore and experience everything so I understand what it's like to be this character. Or you're like me and you're like, I got to stay in New York or in L.A. as long as possible because this shit is a numbers game and eventually I'm going to get the job that's going to change my life. And so you sort of sacrifice going backpacking in Europe when you're like in your 20s because you're living in Los Angeles at 19 or 20, 21, trying to fucking hustle and get that next gig. And you're afraid that somebody else is going to take that gig if you're not there. Well... I waited long enough and the job came and I got to fucking travel the world with the best people, with the best kind of fans and the best fucking leaders. Um, Never did I think that the little boy who was drinking perfume and trying to be Nancy would end up next to Bruce fucking Campbell, Lucy Lawless and Sam Raimi and get to sort of create a character that becomes part of that franchise. New Zealand is the love of my life. I got to New Zealand and for the first time in my life, I felt like I could exhale, I could breathe. I ran and hiked up to the top of this volcano by myself and just remember thinking like, you've done it, you got here, you accomplished this. And while that's an amazing feeling, you do understand that now you have set the bar higher than before and that everything ebbs and flows, everything ends. Right. And you have to just enjoy the ride and see where it takes you. But it's being on that journey and it's that hard work that got you there and that it's that commitment. Because like you said, you could have backpacked in Europe, right. but you forego, you yeah, yeah, forego forgo, that. Yeah, uh-huh. But then you skip backpacking in Europe in your 20s to... Then go to New Zealand and fight demons. Correct. And battle living cars and yeah. you know, all of that. Yeah. But it will be something bringing it around full circle. That journey and the work that took you to that journey, as you said, is now immortalized forever. Exactly. 
Yeah, we got the little dolls. <laughs> is that wild to have like? It is wild. It's 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 wild to have. I don't think it's. Is it wild? I thought it was wild. I just thought eh, it doesn't look like me really. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. It's it's it doesn't really hit you until you're at a con and like somebody brings it over and they're super excited for you to sign it and you're like, oh, that's a doll. I have a doll or like your like niece is like at a ride date or something and sees it and sends you a picture and you're like, oh, I guess that's like cool. I guess it's like a cool thing. I don't know. Some some things don't impress me. Some things do. Well, and I think there's, I, I'm just thinking about, you know, going to the record store or the mall and walking by yourself on the shelf. Like right. the randomness of that. That's got to be. Okay. So I guess it wasn't the doll for me. I know what that moment that you're talking about and we're talking about is. That moment for me the little boy who didn't see, uh, you know, himself on TV and wanted to be like a cast member of 90210. Uh, when I saw the billboard on Sunset that was like the size of a building, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm fucking good because <laughs> I just remember always being a kid and thinking like, I don't know if I'll ever have a billboard because I want... I, I don't think that like I'll ever have that opportunity. I'm not going to be a model because I'm like this like short little golden nugget. And and so when I saw that, I was just like, yes, I've made it. This that was the thing for me that made me super excited. Also, my manager called me when like the first trailer for the first season came out, and I'd been removed from everybody, and I was in New Zealand and just like immersed into the Evil Dead world, and she called me screaming. We did it. We did it. You've made it. We did it. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Like, okay, cool. I'm glad you're so excited. But like, everyone said that after I did meet the Fockers. And she's like, go to the rooftop wherever you are and scream, we've made it. We did it. <laughs> so it's nice to um, have those uh, accomplishments. Um, and they're spaced out. You know, you, you, you want them to happen all the time, every day, but they're spaced out and they, they build character. That's that, that character build that space builds character. Excuse me. And I think they happen when they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to ask, since you've mentioned it a few times, this is just a complete pop sure. culture aside. 90210. Uh-huh. Favorite character? Uh, uh I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, uh, Brenda. Brenda. Yeah. Brenda. I can see it. Divisive. Yeah. I mean, come on. Again, like going back to wanting to be the, the female characters and all these great things. Brenda, Kelly, Val. I mean, right. Val was really... You remember Val? I do. I'm, I have to say I'm a Donna... Donna I'm a, you're a Donna Martin Graduates fan? Yeah. Mostly because <laughs> it was just like... I, I felt for her in, in that The moment. character? Yes. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I guess, yeah, but okay, the real question is like, which one did you, who did you want to sleep with more out of all those guys? I mean, you know what's funny is probably then I would have said Priestley, but uh, like looking back at my taste, it would have been Luke Perry for sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to say no to any of those guys, but I used to really, really love Brian Austin Green uh, when he was like at the end of the show but yeah i probably would have said jason Priestley, and now 
only because he looks so good and I see him at the gym all the time, uh, is is Steve. Ian Zeering or Ian Zeering or whatever he, oh, whatever yeah. his name is. He looks good. Also a fellow alum of the world of uh, of cult cinema with yeah. his, his battles against Sharknado. Sharknado. Yeah. Yeah, he looks good. Um I am excited to see what this um this this like not remake or reboot is going to be. Have you heard about this? I have. And it's interesting too because they also did that uh sort of uh, updated version, the foray into whatever it was with the new class. Remember, right. like on the right, CW right. a while right. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like a lot of the original cast are coming back. But it's going to be weird. It's going to be like a. Uh, I feel like it's going to be like the uh, the comeback, where it's like they are getting together. I believe to like make a reboot, and it's like about the drama within the act for the actors and not like the characters so i mean it's an interesting take on it it's it's definitely not going to be what it was when we watched it but i don't know that people want that either because i mean who was on the the new class i think kelly was on it for like a second and i think that luke maybe went on for a second i just want is shannon doherty coming back I don't know. I, I I feel like I read something about Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling. I mean, we know that. They they love to you know, they love to work. They do. They love to work together. Yeah, um, they have that mystery girls series. Love some mystery these girls. Are, these are the sidebars that happen on Dead for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> um I did want to say, um, before we, we completely move away from it. Yeah. Uh while I was driving here this morning, I sort of had the thought about Ash versus Evil Dead being and like this is a a little bit of a a leap so stay with me listeners for a second uh because i'm sure there will be people that are are like "Mm, okay uh there is sort of uh a queer read of the show that i think could be taken in that at the end of the day it's really about community in 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 that we talked about how ash's character is sort of this for all extents and purposes, Midwest, red state kind of guy with these sort of like viewpoints that maybe wouldn't align with what, you know, Pablo, right. or the other characters. But even though we may not necessarily agree with him on this. Right. Working through those dis- differences and working together for a common cause, you all kind of like. For sure. Yeah. The and- show is about a group of dysfunctional human beings who are you know sort of fighting their own inner demons and right. together they become this ultimate monster fighting squad wow i said that for three years in every press interview but i really believed it and yeah. you're right it is about opening and celebrating the otherness of people and the outsider who we see ash um, you know, is from the beginning and then throughout the, the seasons where they sort of, they, they, they like, they want to kill him. The town wants right. to like kill him. Uh, and, and everybody is sort of trying to find their, their, they're on their journey to be the best version of themselves, you know, whether it's, um, Kelly avenging the death of her, her family and becoming this like badass like female fighter or it's Ruby who is like trying to decide if she should be good or bad and like how does she fit into the world 
you know, of normal people when she is has always been this woman demon who kills who kills people and then she's betrayed by her husband or Pablo who's just like, Look, I'm just trying to just please don't don't send me back to where I came from and please see that, you know, I can be a hero and that you know, I always listen, you know, there was this will they won't they with with um Kelly and 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 Pablo but like you know in my head I was like maybe one day (laughs) maybe one day like how they love to do all these like lesbian scenes on our show and like there's all that innuendo like maybe it'll happen for Pablo somewhere some way um that's what I feel like we do need, which we didn't have on our show really, or or any show I feel like that's out there right now, um, in a in a horror way. And maybe I'm wrong, and you know of one. Um, but yeah, like it's like I feel like where is the queer? Um, I mean, I know we have that. Um, what's his name? Uh, it's on Stars right now. Um, that does have sort of like some some horror uh, underto- undertones to it. Um, but I don't know. I've only watched a couple of episodes. But yeah, I feel like what I would love is if I could be a version of the character that I was on Ash. Um, or if like we picked up, like, you know, as you do in the Evil Dead franchise 10 20 30 years from now where would we be well and that's sort of the state of the industry and fandom now that things don't really ever die right it's the idea that i'm sure i was talking about this the other day in a completely different context that when they wrapped gilmore girls they had no idea that a netflix would one day have them all return right but interestingly enough and i was thinking about talking to you about this and since you you took us there naturally i'm going to uh, way, way back at the, when I first started in this industry, one of the very first gigs I ever did at a convention was with Bruce. Okay. And uh, we uh, were on one of those things together and someone in the audience asked him, and this is before Ash versus Evil Dead, uh, where he thought Ash would be now right. in the world. Because at the time, we did not know if the character was ever coming back. So what we're really talking about is is where would would Pablo be and what and what 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 would you like to see for him i mean i do think that there is i see oh, well well we had discussed like what would be, what would have happened if we came back for that fourth season right and i just wanted to see like a little baby kelly pablo with like a little baby um we had we found this my makeup artist um hannah wilson is phenomenal and she was just like my like life support in new zealand and there was this like little baby pablo wig that they had and i was like what is that for and she was like i don't know but they told me to make it and i was like oh wow like what if there is a little baby pablo kelly that talks with kelly's voice but but looks like pablo's hair um (laughs) I think Pablo, like, is lost in time somewhere, and he is a single parent. Kelly has gone off to, like, fight, uh, um, you know, evil, and 
And he's left with the kid and he's still trying to be like the leader of the ghost beaters. There's that version or there's this version of like he is looking for Ash. He was looking for Ash in the future and he's got like a shaved head and he's like not innocent anymore. And he's like a drug addict and he's just become a version of what Ash was. And he can't find, he can't, he's lost that part of himself. And when the three of them come back together... His hair starts to grow back and he like, you know, becomes who he used to be, but a different version. And he now is like, he's got that edge and that, that roughness that he never had. Um, and he will always be the president of the ghost beaters. He will always want to, to, uh, to, to fight evil. But I think that there might be a struggle based off of what happened. I think, you know, Ash leaving to the future has left them in the present and and there's a lot of bad shit that's going on there and he's sort of just like i don't know what to do we lost the jefe <laughs> um but yeah uh you know bruce d- you know he gave us his blessing and he told me and dana he's like if you guys get approached and want to do it go for it i would like to retire the character and I, me and Dana, like, we looked at each other and we were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is like when Cher says it's her final tour. We were like, yeah, okay, sure. We are not going to do this without you. And, boo-boo, we know you'll be back. You'll be back with that boomstick. Um, well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had mentioned earlier, uh, briefly in reference to uh, the Into the Dark movie, yeah. The Body. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that character because I think that character is so far away from Pablo. Mm. Uh, but what I think is really interesting about that character is you kind of got to play uh, this entitled mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think in like Trump's America is really like very interesting kind of role to take on because there's a lot of commentary there. Uh, just tell me yeah. a little bit about that project. Yeah, I think that was, um, so Paul Davis, who is the director of that was a really big fan of evil dead. Um, I mean, I didn't know that going into the audition, but I was, I think the scene was like me doing Coke and like my party and I brought like a weird, um, um, pre-workout, like powder and like sniffed it in the audition (laughs) and they were like this bitch is crazy and I just remember thinking like they're not gonna hire me they're gonna hire a white guy to play this role but I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna have fun and I'm gonna do it and I remember like the people having that look in their eye that they have when they like you and I was like oh I think this might work um I did want to shave my head and um, not have a mustache but uh, the production was split. Like the director wanted me to still like be recognizable from Evil Dead. And then some people at Blumhouse were like, no, we think he should change. But ultimately the director won and it was fine. I just wanted there to be a sort of uh, a departure from like looking like Pablo. I right. don't think there was a big enough difference. But there was a departure in the character. Like right. the character was this sort of like asshole who has money and, um, you know, because our movie lived in this small world, I never really thought about what it would be like to, to like, like thinking of him as like a negative uh, a person in Trump's America. I just thought that he was like, 
somebody who has a lot of money and uses it to impress people. No one ever is. And then ultimately you get to see him sort of like shade that away, like shave that away as the movie goes on. You mm-hmm. really see that he's just like, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I just do what I can with what I can. And um, and he's a, he's a coward. He he leaves them a couple times and and that's why that's why he dies um but yeah that was a fun experience it was really amazing working with Blumhouse and I got to um you know I got to go home at night which was nice and yeah you're not a world away yeah it was nice and not nice I was like okay we're shooting downtown like I guess (laughs) I guess I'll like it's nice to drive to work but it's like I missed my driver I missed the beach and you know all that other good stuff, um, but it was nice to 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 sort of have a different horror uh, uh, film come out right after Evil Dead and and people noticed that the character was different because I was trying and I felt like it might be too close because of the way that I looked, um, but I think it worked and you know what people have actually seen it. I was like I don't know who's gonna see this and people come up to me and they're like. Oh, you were so good on that Hulu movie. I didn't. Th- I didn't want you to die, or you were an asshole. You deserve to die, and it was really a movie about a bunch of people who are assholes and deserve to die. <laughs> you know. Well, so w- we've talked a few times about the recognizability and the fact that uh, these kind of roles in the horror community and how passionate that fandom is. It brings mm-hmm. a different kind of attention. Uh, but at the top of the show, when I was talking about some of the roles that you've taken on, both in and out of genre, you have a pretty healthy resume of performances. Mm. Uh, so I'm just wondering, is there a role of yours that you feel like not enough people saw or that you would really like to point people back towards that's a personal favorite from the back catalog? Oh, wow. Okay. Let me think about this. Mm. I. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I really liked my performance in this movie, Sex Ed. Um, it was sort of this like machismo guy who just picks on um, Haley Joel Osment. Um, we we shot that in 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 Florida with a really great group of people. Um, I think it was probably the butchest I've ever been. I very rarely get to play gay, which is something that I I wanted to talk about because. They like look at me and they're like, yeah, he's not hot enough to be the gay guy. Like, so, but maybe he could be like the other gay guy. Um, and so I don't know, like, uh, sorry, that was just a little side comment No, but there. that's interesting because earlier when you were talking about the industry's perception of yeah. Latinx characters, yeah. you, you were talking about how there is this idea of what that looks like. And, and, that, and there is that, I think, as well in the gay community or for right. gay characters. Um, you know, uh, it does come down to like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I was going to say it does come down to like. It all comes back to racism, doesn't it? But no. <laughs> maybe you can keep that or delete it. I don't know. It's fine. No, <laughs> there is this idea of what everybody decides things look like and what they're supposed to be. Right. And, you know, gay guys are like hypersexualized and they have these like Adonis bodies. And it's either that or they're like, you know, a slob or, or not hot or trying to be hot. I don't fucking know. But like what I do know is that Nobody wants to hire me to play gay. And I'm just, um, they want to hire me to like, you know, 
sell drugs and and be a gangbanger and like rip people off and be a drug addict but like what about like why can't i have a love story right looking the way that i look you know what i mean um and being who i am and i think that comes down to like making your own projects and creating your own content and yes i'm i am in the process of doing that but that is extremely hard to do i i also want it to come from like um the gods of who decides that you make it right i want them to choose me for being the way that i am and say we we um we celebrate that and we believe that you can uh play uh, a care this that you can tell stories looking the way that you look and being who you are you know because i know i can do it if i were to sit and 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 hit the pavement and write my own stuff but i want the big people to choose and say yes i know that that sounds like i just want to be accepted into like the sorority or the fraternity or the college or the club but like that's what life is fucking about and you just like figure out how to get in there through the front door the back door however and then you take over well i mean and it's a theme that we've been returning to a lot in this conversation is the idea of of belonging and wanting to belong and creating that space. And I do think that for anyone who exists in a marginalized space in society, the incremental change is, well, incremental. That's the problem is it's not happening fast enough and it becomes frustrating. Yeah. Um, So I am reading... well, I've already read it, but I'm 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 auditioning for this play on Broadway. And if if people out there have not read this play or seen this play or heard of it, they definitely should. It's called The Inheritance, and it's um, based on Howard's End. And it really is about what we as gay men inher- uh, you know, what we get passed on, and that that what was given to us from you know being a gay man. Uh, back then to now and how some of the same messages and themes in our lives are still the same and how we have to sort of be there for each other. Mm -hmm. This play changed my life. I saw it in London. It was seven hours long. uh, And there is something about it that just speaks to me. And, uh, but no, but yeah, I feel like what I'm, what I'm saying is that like when I read this play, I saw, um, the words and the characters that I don't feel like I often have a chance to see or um, experience or audition for. Um, so I do feel like the, the, the kids, the up and coming legendary children um, are, are putting it out there. And I have seen uh, change and more visibility in the, the narratives uh, for, for, for queer uh, people mm-hmm. um, but it's still a struggle I don't think that people I, th- I think people still want to see um, people aren't taking that big of a chance they're still saying like we want to see this gay guy this right. gay woman you know it depends on what our ideas are of that and I think every story has been told already so now what I'm loving about what's happening in the world today thank you, Francis McDormand, is that we're getting, like, to see different, like, ethnicities playing different characters, and there is, like, so much diversity. Almost to the point where it's actually now feeling a little bit like it's racist, because it's like, now we need to have one Asian, one one Latino, one black person, and it's just like, okay, all right. But at the same time, it's like, it just feels like, sometimes I'm like, what's happening? Like, why can't people just be people? 
we still haven't found the right. the middle ground. Does that make sense? No, I, I think that I get that what you're saying is on one hand, it's still a slow change. Yeah. On another, maybe the, the means by which we're making the change are abrupt in ways that are not integrating it well. Thank you. Thank you. You've done such a good job at like really <laughs> decoding what I'm trying to say. Well, I, I, I think it's I think it's a conversation that comes down to concepts and, and themes of representation. And it's something right. that we've all really in any uh, any space that is not the cis straight white guy space. Right. Whether you are a person of color or queer or like a marginalized religion or, you know, people uh, who are air quotes, not mainstream. We all really desire to see ourselves represented. But we want it to be done authentically, I think Correct. is it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um and it's it is definitely a struggle. Uh so no, I mean that's 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 something to consider in creating art and seeking art out, both as people who make it, right. perform it, but also as an audience. So like listeners I really think should should seek out things that represent the change they wanna see. Totally. Because if we just kind of keep supporting the same old structures, they're gonna keep making the same old right. things. Right. I'm I'm completely with you on that. Um, so you you use the phrase legendary children, and before we head off into the night, like yeah. we've talked about some like heavier queer issues. Let's a little yeah. something light for Pride Month. Sure, I know. Uh, so legendary children, of course, is a phrase that comes from the ball scene. Yeah, uh, was used in Paris's burning. Is still utilized by the likes of RuPaul. You just attended DragCon. That's right. And you are a, a, a drag enthusiast. I am. Listen, I have to say, when you don't get the part. The best medicine, the thing that will make you feel so much better is like, I cannot wait to watch Drag Race today. Um, <laughs> it really was. It was really like this this last season. And, and you know, obviously we met at our good friend Darren's house and he, he is um, so great at creating a community. I think that drag creates a community, whether you're participating in a nightclub, whether you are watching it with friends, or whether it's just making you feel better because you had a shitty day. Yeah. It is just like the best TV. And I personally felt so connected to Vangie, um, I guess probably because I felt like I saw so much of myself right. in in her. Um and uh and and then I got, I went to the to to DragCon and it's so interesting because I I got really excited because I you know I obviously like I've I've gone to so many Comic Cons all over the world and and they are exhausting. Yes. They are so exhausting and I have this like I I have this like thing that I want to do I don't know how, but I like want to revamp the whole like format and concept of it in like the its environment. Like I want that lighting to not be overhead and fluorescent. The I want it worst to... photo lighting in the world I is mean, in convention centers. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. I feel like they get the they have their good lights, you know. Right. But the overhead makes you want to die, um, like and not in a good way, like on Ash, but. Um, yeah, so when I went to DragCon, sorry, uh, I was super excited because I was like, oh my God, like this is like the first time I'm going to be excited to see people. I'm usually here as like the person people are coming to see. I can't wait to just be like a fan. And, and it was. It was so fucking cool to see all the queens, you know, doing their thing and seeing their lines and, and just living their lives. 
But then very quickly, the lighting got to me and I was like, okay, I've had my, I've had my moment. I need to, I need to go. It's fading. I'm fading. This is like an energy. It's like sucks your energy. I don't know how people love to do it, but I did get to see some great performances. I got to see Evie Oddly uh, perform uh, downtown. Uh, before they announced that she, I don't know, spoiler alert, I'm not going to say if she won or lost because I don't know who listens to this and what they've seen. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I did. I got to see the girls. And so I'm drag. Last week, someone said this. I am drag fatigued. I am so drag fatigued because I saw um, I saw like the all stars in season 10 girls perform. So anyway. But I love that we live in a culture now that you can be drag fatigued. And in a way, when I think of something like DragCon, and it sort of goes back to the beginning of the conversation where we were talking about not seeing yourself in the world and wanting to be that thing for other people. Uh, a lot of my early career started working with drag queens who, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the idea of like you'd go to a, an underground bar, this like punk rock place that like maybe some drunk people would come to. Fast forward to, the LA Convention Center where 40,000 people show up I would have never conceptualized it let alone I'm sure they didn't but by blazing those trails by being the thing that people wanted to see or needed to see or representing the thing that's awesome and whether it's like being that's why they come that's why people come because they see themselves and they and they and, and they want you to know that you have touched them and it also means so much to them and you know, through through traveling, I really did understand that because for a while I was like, because, you know, it's just like little old you. You're like, oh, cool. You like the show. But I'm like, no, they are like, you really changed my life. Like one girl was like, oh, you helped me to tell my dad and brother that I'm queer from watching the show and then following you and reading articles I realized that you were queer and you know when when I was approached by Out Magazine to like you know be part of their top 100 one year I had never really said like I am gay if you know me you know I'm gay and for a while or for a second actually I was like I'm worried that this might is this gonna hurt me and I was like no, it's not and 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 I was like you need to take this step so that you because you want to be that kind of artist. You want right. to be the artist that people respect and Well, it's a powerful full circle, I think. Um I just want to say you could put this wherever you want. Like I want to do a horror movie with those queens. Yes. That are on Drag Race. And I would love to work with Vanjie. I'll get her in shape. I know she's not the best actress. I can give her some good direction, <laughs> and I will definitely take care of her in a better way than Brooklyn did. I don't know why, but for some reason, she was the. It was the first time in my life when I watched Drag Race. I'm like, I'm kind of turned on by like Vanjie's drag. Ooh, little girl, little girl, no booby drag. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> well, I mean, that's 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 the sidebar of sidebars. <laughs> Miss Vanjie, please call Ray. <laughs> but what I was going to say is it's it's really a full circle moment and I think it's the most powerful thing and if if uh if any takeaway comes from this episode and there were many, but I I really love the idea that you got to be the thing for other people that you needed yourself growing up. Totally. And that's amazing. Yeah, and that is inspiring, and that, um, you know, in this industry, you don't know what is going to happen and where you're going to end up. Right. But if you have that, 
that for me is like a big check on the list that makes me feel like, okay, cool. No matter what it happened, you did it. And now you just got to keep pushing yourself to the next limit. And what does that, what does that mean? And what does, you know, uh, what does it mean for you as an artist? And what does it mean for like people out there? And I think that, um, it's about being authentic, as like what yeah. we talked about before. Well, and this is now a good time to ask, speaking yeah. of pushing yourself to the next limit and what's yeah. next. What is next? What are you working on that you can tell us about? Okay, so I worked on this amazing film with Anne Dowd, who, as we all know, is um, the evil uh, person on, on Handmaid's Tale, um, where I play her boyfriend. It's called Speed of Life. It's a time travel movie about... A couple who has a fight and a breakup the night that David Bowie died. Oh wow! Um, it's a very strange movie. I had a sex scene with Ann Dowd. We got to make out, um, and she was fantastic. I learned so much about her. She was amazing on set. Never once complained. Um, so that's called Speed of Light, uh, Speed of Life. It was uh, out at a couple film festivals this year, and it should be coming out next year. I am currently working on a television series for CBS All Access called Interrogation with Peter Sarsgaard. It is a crime drama set in the 80s, anthology uh, series style. I play a um, prison, uh, uh, I I, I play a jailhouse uh, rat who um, gets information from people and uses it against them to to lower his sentence and i and i have to sing amazing i get to sing amazing grace um yeah so i got to work with uh peter sarsgaard and kyle gallner is that his name oh yeah Yeah. um who's who's um has his fair share of um horror stuff and he's great and it's it's his show and he's killing it and he's just a wonderful guy um so Speed of Life, Interrogation, and then Ricky Bates, who directed Suburban Gothic, um, which is kind of like the beginning of like my um, like horror comedy like journey. Um, he puts me in everything that he does. Uh, I'm, so I pop up in his next movie called Tone Death, um, which should be out in theaters this August. Awesome. Yeah. So lots of things to keep yeah, our eyes open for. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to move into to theater. I need something to fuel my for all you thespians out there. I'm trying to take to the stage, so get ready. I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks to do a series of queer uh, readings that Michael Yuri is producing at um, the Rattlesnake. So no end of things going no, on. No, no, you got to keep busy. Every job in this industry starts and ends within a couple of weeks or months or years. But you get to push the reset button and challenge yourself and keep going. And I'm excited. I've had some really close. What's been nice is that I've been jumping, you know, doing a couple jumps to different shows like the Hulu thing, like this thing on um, CBS All Access, which will be out, I think, at the beginning of next year. Um, And sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm really eager to find that next permanent home. Right. But I'm also kind of appreciative for the time because I don't want to end up on something that I don't like or don't want to work on for four years. And so I'll say this quote, I I might misquote a little bit, but I believe David Bowie said, uh, whatever it is I'll do next, I can guarantee you it won't be boring. And that's a good quote to live by. Yeah. Well, uh, 
before we head out? It is Pride Month. Any final uh, thoughts for, for our listeners? For um, I would say that I I am a romantic. And so be proud of who you are. And if you see something that you want, go for it. If you see somebody you like, tell them. Um, and be proud to show them who you are. And be proud to want the things that you want, like love and success and happiness. And just remember that, you know, being defined by who we fuck or sleep with um, is not the only thing. We have to remember to celebrate the culture that we came from and remember where we're going. Um, remember where we are in order to know where we're going. And that's what being proud and pride month is really all about. And I'm just so happy that I get to live in the world today where we've come so far. So for all the up and coming legendary children, remember to respect your mothers (laughs) and, um, don't let us down because we didn't let you down. Perfection. (laughs) Uh, where can people find you, Ray? Um, I'm at real Ray Santiago on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining Thank us today. Thank you. This was lovely. A lovely way to start Pride weekend and the day. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to come and join us. Listeners, please make sure you check out Ray on all of the things that we discussed and more. There's more to come, as he said. So, uh, yeah, the uh, the body is on Hulu. Ash vs. Evil Dead is out there in the world. Season three on Netflix. All three seasons are on Netflix now. There you go. And uh, just keep your eyes peeled for, for him and many more to come. I'm Michael Verratti. This has been Dead for Filth. Yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. Dead for Filth is a Reverie original podcast, executive produced by Aaliyah J. Daniels, LaShawn McGee, Chris Rodriguez, and Damian Pelliccione. The show is produced by Drew Phillips and sound engineered and edited by Josh Perkins. Download the Reverie app and use the code FILTH for 25% off your first three months. <laughs>